With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. But Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, recruiting week. Happy recruiting week. National signing. Well, for most people listening to it on Tuesday, National Signing Day Eve. We, uh, whether you want to or not, this is uh, this is pretty much what you're talking about this week, um, and that's why we're having two podcasts. So this is your um, slightly recruiting more basketball Monday edition or Tuesday morning edition, um, where we'll actually be diving into things not recruiting related before Wednesday's all inclusive. Uh, recruiting update once everybody hopefully is in the door and all the fax machines have been worn out on the Syracuse campus. Yeah, I don't I don't expect this one to be a super dramatic Syracuse signing day. We actually haven't had a really dramatic Syracuse signing day since like 2010, 2011. One of those was crazy, but um, I think we kind of know the class we have. We'll probably maybe get one or two more guys. There could always be a surprise. I mean, every so often there's someone comes from completely off the radar, but overall I think we kind of know where we are and it's going to be more about you know evaluation and kind of seeing how this affects the program going forward and that's even more fun because we you know a lot of it's up in the air with a new coach yeah and you know what i mean if anyone could pull anything out of their ass it's probably babers um who you know had his list he had his guys that he was whether he was intentionally putting a list together um to target guys when he left, left for a new school or not um he obviously set lofty goals between him and his staff at uh, Bowling Green, established a lot of connections at great schools with great prospects. Um, and, you know, Stephen Bailey had a great article, um, what was it, about a week ago, where it talked about how Babers really, like, kind of turned over this class so quickly in, in his image. And um, it's been impressive. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sold that the last we hear about the class of 2016 uh, before International Signing Day is a non-offer to uh, – to Josh White, um, Adrian Killen staying at UCF, and uh, and Stuart Reese uh, picking Mississippi State over us. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but, but I, I don't buy it based on the momentum he's been able to build thus far. No, and, and like I said, I mean, we've we've all seen years where, you know, uh, famously, and you know, not the greatest name to bring up this week, but, you know, Doug Marone found Jay Bromley like three months after signing day. There's always Juco kids that pop up, and you know, obviously there are positions like defensive, like the defensive line where Babers could definitely use a, you know, a Juco player who's a little more polished to step in just for depth. So um, just because we have a certain number of kids tomorrow and the class is what it is, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that will be the class that comes to camp in August. Um, it'll, you know, probably be very close, but uh, more and more players get discovered after signing day every year, it seems like, just because of how 
the recruiting process done with the internet and everything else. Um, so I don't know what papers background with recruiting after signing days. Um, happens a little nationally, and uh, that happened as Ronan's not for the launch. So I don't know if that was just focused on more than most people, or if uh, or if it's something that we from most steps. Yeah, I think that that's that's pretty dead on. Um, I, I think in general, you know, we even saw it last year um, in, in a not overly heralded recruiting class um, that you know Scott Schaefer and, and Co were able to bring in. You know, Ted Taylor and Kentarius Womack after the fact. Um, Womack ended up grading out about a three star as a quarterback, but we seem to plug him in a wide receiver and defensive back. He might switch back um, for all we know. Um, and then Ted Taylor ended up filling in pretty nicely. Um, you know, at linebacker. So I think between those, between those two, and, and there's so many other examples. Some of you mentioned. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Babers is done by any means. Even if, even if we end up with with 20 or 21 guys um, come signing day. Yeah, that's right. And, and I mean, even so, we're at 21. I think the number of people expected was like 23 or so. Um, and obviously, there'll probably be some guys that transfer uh, after spring, um, or you know, even when we get closer to, to the season starting. That, that generally happens with these staffs. That's like one of the like basically the, the transfer outs kind of happen within a couple of weeks of the new staff coming on campus and them evaluating and the players evaluating and whatnot. And then right before and after spring, you kind of see which guys don't really fit the system more and guys who maybe don't mesh with the staff well. Um, so there will be more spots open. Uh, there's a decent chance it will be a little bit below the full like, 85 heading in next year. But it seems like, it, at least uh, in terms of the recent coaching transitions for Syracuse, this is going to be one of the more full rosters, uh, as opposed to like with Marone team here. And he had his big, um, you know, if you want to call it running off or, you know, players transferring or whatever. Like Marone definitely, I mean, he you can argue that he did the right thing and that some of those players didn't uh, – Along with the program or weren't good enough, but we also saw issues. Uh, we also saw you know issues of depth for at least a couple of years uh, after that. So hopefully, Babers is dealing with more of a full deck when he uh, starts this season. Yeah, and you know we spent an entire podcast talking about weird kind of depth issues under Scott Schaefer, and I think you know we can move on to basketball and then kind of loop back around to recruiting, but. Um, yeah, I think that there, there's a lot more to discuss beyond just the names, especially for a team like Syracuse that right now seems to be pretty locked in with theirs. Um, but moving on to basketball, a, a sport that is currently going on. And uh, yeah, Syracuse gave us kind of a nail-biter on Saturday. Dan, you were, uh, you were live uh, to witness the proceedings. What were your, uh, what were your initial reactions, and, and how are you seeing things maybe a little bit differently a couple days later? Um, I, I mean, I think this was a, cl- a classic game that Syracuse loses earlier in the year. Um, it was, it was, I, as I said, I think on Twitter, and I also said it to like people I was with, like that was the most noon game a noon game has ever been. Like it was incredibly sloppy. The referees didn't seem to know what sport they were refereeing. Uh, no one could really hit a shot. Um, but it, the big difference between the Georgia Tech game and some of the close losses we had earlier in ACC play and with Hopkins coaching. Um, the guys just seemed like they knew what they had to do to grind out the win. You saw Malachi Richardson, who had his worst shooting day probably in two or three weeks, 
um, really take over uh, down the stretch and ended up with 13 points, I think. And they were almost entirely just getting to the basket, getting to the line. Um, it wasn't a great th- uh, free throw day for the Orange, but they hit ones down the stretch when they needed them. Georgia Tech did not. Um, the defense was very good. They had some big steals, obviously the one that pretty much iced the game. Uh, so the team is definitely improving. Um, and you saw that with the Notre Dame game, which is, I was also at, which was probably the most complete performance of the year. Uh, it's nice that, you know, earlier in the year, unless Syracuse put together like a really good performance, it, it, especially during that mid streak where we were losing a bunch, uh, they really struggled to win, even if they weren't getting blown out. Um, now it seems like they've, they're kind of learning how to win uh, close games and, they're starting to put together some performances that should really scare some of the ACC teams. Um, I saw uh, Blogger So Dear, the Wake Forest blog, I think had us sit in, the, in their ACC power rankings. And I think it's not unfair to say, you know, Syracuse obviously put itself in a hole to start the year, but they're already eighth in the standings in the ACC. Um, I, I don't think it's unfair to say they're somewhere in that like five to seven range in terms of best teams in the conference. And I don't think a lot of teams want to play SU right now. Yeah, and you know what? It's wild right now. Like you said, we're eighth. We're at five and five. We played more games than most teams, um, if not every team, in the conference, um, league-wise. And the, the only thing separating us from you know Louisville in second is two games. Um, though Louisville did beat UNC tonight, uh, pretty hand well, not handily, but well enough where where you have faith that that's not just a fluke result. Um, you know, we were able to beat the teams in front of us, play hard with. Um, the teams in front of us that we've faced so far, and I think that that's the that's the really encouraging part. And you look at above us, Miami close loss, Clemson close loss, Notre Dame win, uh, Virginia close loss, Pitt close loss, Louisville uh, we haven't played yet, and then North Carolina close loss. I mean, see, we've said this before. This is you know a fourteen deep league this year, and yes, Syracuse is is kind of anywhere from. I mean, realistically, they could be anywhere from from second to fourteenth. I mean, based on the two game gap between uh, where they are and second place, but um, they could end up finishing the season as a top half team, um, even if they go five and three, which gets them to about a ten and eight record in the league, just because of how much parity is there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of it's going to come down to how the committee views the ACC. Um, I think the ACC fans are kind of more into how deep this league is than maybe the rest of the college basketball world so far. Um, not that the people are bashing it at all, but it just doesn't seem like it's been talked about which is, uh, quite as much as you'd expect. Um, and it's probably not quite as top-heavy as uh, like the Big 12, which is awesome um, at the top with like, those four teams. But, like, the, I mean, we're starting to see a, a couple more teams drop out. Um, Wake really, you know, hasn't been great recently. Uh, NC State, I thought they'd be way better. And obviously, Cat Barber is great, but the rest of the team is really, really under uh, underperformed relative to their talent level. So we're starting to see a little bit more tiering in the ACC. But overall, I think it's still a really deep league. Um, and I think there's if there's a big bubble, you're going to see a lot of these ACC teams kind of battling it out uh, with one another. So um, hopefully, yes, you can keep on kind of winning the games they're supposed to because that could be big, not only just to rack up wins and improve the RPI and everything, but, you know, Florida State could be on the bubble. Um, you know, even Duke could be on the bubble by the end of the year, and having that win over those, having a win over Duke and potentially one or two wins over Florida State, um, and even a couple other schools, you know, might end up being really, really big when when Slutchin, uh Sunday comes along. 
No, I completely agree. And you know what? It's I think we can get to the Duke point in a little while because I know you and I uh, were discussing it a little bit um, internally on our uh, on the blog Slack page. But yeah, this the fact that this bubble is potentially going to be so um, ACC centric. Um, based on how a lot of these teams still play one another, a lot of them have played kind of 500 ball over the last couple of months. I mean, you do have to like where a team like Syracuse is playing. I mean, they're five and one in their last six games. Um, you know, two of those wins are over ranked teams at the time. Uh, I think in general, yes, you're looking at three wins over kind of shoddier squads in the ACC, but at the same time, like shoddy is all relative like Wake Forest shouldn't be playing as poorly as it is especially how well it played in non-conference NC State has enough talent even with Barber alone to be better than a 500 team like Georgia Tech is playing you know well above its station Virginia Tech playing well above its station I mean we'll see a lot tomorrow night as long as Syracuse can kind of I mean they shouldn't be playing another game you know two days later but uh, that's neither here nor there um They are playing the Hokies. They should win this game based on talent level, but because of how the ACC's gone, because of the short porch between games, um, you know, anything kind of goes. And and, and I I made the point kind of in the the RPI article, Syracuse doesn't have to win out to to get to the tournament, um, far from it, but they do need to win the games that that they're supposed to win. This Virginia Tech game is kind of one of them. Yeah, and obviously I've seen people bring it up. Vatech, they're they're you know only twelve and ten, but they're a much improved team this year. And Buzz Williams, uh, the last couple of years, has always given us problems, even with far less talented Vatech teams. And they have some really legit players. I mean, Zach Day is one of the better uh, one of the better uh, forwards in the league. Seth Allen has been a pretty feisty player for a couple of years, so I definitely don't expect it to be a walkover game, especially uh, because of this ridiculous stretch in terms of scheduling. Um, obviously, Bayheim, you know, has the reputation of being a whiner and whatnot, but I think this is something where he's he's definitely right. It doesn't make sense to have these games spaced the way they are. No, no doubt. Um, so I guess going a little more into the RPI discussion before we get to Duke, um, because despite the fact this is, yes, a Syracuse podcast, we do talk about other teams, sometimes pretty regularly. Um, and besides Tulane, we try to tie them back to Syracuse. Uh, Tulane gets to exist in its own bubble, and I think um, if... Twitter polls are binding contracts. Uh, we are obligated to discuss Tulane at some point during tonight's proceedings. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been trying to think for the last, like, 30 minutes of how we discussed Tulane. Um, it might just be uh, us shouting them out here, because I don't really know if there's a natural way to do that. Yeah, or we're going to talk about Wavy the Wave, who, that might not be his name, and I don't really care. <laughs> um I think it's like it's like the Oregon Duck. Like he's puddles. I don't care what he what his. I mean, <laughs> the duck's a stupid name. He's puddles. Yeah, that's. I, I never enjoy mascots. See, Otto Otto has a first name. His last name is the Orange. That's fine. That's that 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 is indicative of him actually having a personality. Considering that puddles in particular, the fact that puddles has such a personality, um, you can't just call him the duck. That's just stupid. No, I always make the point of calling him puddles. I, I refuse to. Limit him to the duck. Just to piss off Oregon fans. Do they not like puddles? No, they hate puddles. Have you seen the, the blog post decrying the use of uh, puddles as a name? No, I haven't noticed that. I'm oh, they get pissed. Doing it. No, they get pissed. <laughs> That's funny. That's bizarre. <laughs> it's really why, why, why is that something people are worked out about? Uh, I get like this is college sports. Your... <laughs> <laughs> puddles is sports. Yes. So yeah, a little bit on RPI. Um... 
So today I kind of put up a post, and then that would be yesterday for those listening, um, just talking about how a top 50 resume, uh, well, top 50 RPI in your resume um, doesn't guarantee you a tournament bid, but at the same time, it, uh, it comes pretty damn close. And uh, since 2000, uh, I looked, it was 70 teams with top 50 RPI were left out. Um, in total, that's 90% um, in and just 10% out. Now, that might be deceptive a little bit, um, but it gets to be even better for um, large conference teams who get an even higher clip. Um, the only notable exception that kind of skewed a lot of the data in there, and I called this out as well, uh, the 2006 and 2007 committees were unmitigated garbage. Um, Syracuse fell victim to them in 2000. Uh, not in 2007, excuse me. Um, and Missouri State fell victim, I think, both years. A couple schools fell victim both years. Um, you had 16 teams uh, left out with top 50 RPIs um, in that two-year stretch. Uh, and really did skew a lot of the data. But other than that, I mean, this was, for the most part, you're looking at three and a half teams um, on average outside of those two years missing with the top 50 RPI. So um, especially if you're going to have a strength of schedule, what, like what Syracuse does right now, which is around 28 or so, um, you're looking very good. You're not guaranteed anything, but you are looking very, very good to make the tournament if you keep things as is. Yeah, I, and I think at this point, like if, if Syracuse holds serve and beats, let's say, Vatek, BC, um, UN, uh, NC State, and then let's say gets either both Florida State or a split with Florida State and Pitt or something like that, I think if we're, if we're looking at 2021 20, wins before the ACC tournament, I have a very hard time seeing a situation in which a Syracuse team, which is playing like its best basketball, um, the Jim Beheim factor, which you know might not be a huge thing, but they've admitted it's something, um, and is streaking at the right time, unless they get like drubbed by a bad team in the ACC tournament or something, I have a very hard time finding, you know, seeing that team not make the tournament. Completely agree. I think a twenty and eleven regular season uh, with wins over, with probably going to be a top ten A and M team, um, a Duke team that should be improved, a Notre Dame team that'll be improved, um, and then yeah, I guess you can throw in UConn in there too. Um, that should be good enough. I think it really just depends on what Duke does from here, um, whether or not that win counts as a second quality win, or if we're left sweating out. Um, a little bit more come uh, Selection Sunday, uh, a la, you know, again, what happened in 2007, where everyone thought that Georgetown win um, at the Dome was was the crowning achievement, um, and it ends up that it was not enough to kind of put them over the line in the eyes of what was a faulty tournament committee. Um, the one benefit, I guess, this time around is that we beat A&M early in the season, um, which could be bad or good, um, and beat A&M on a neutral court, um, in the Bahamas uh, due to our invincibility at neutral site tournaments um, in the last, what, seven, eight years now. Yeah, I, I think, I'm not sure if it was you that said it or someone else, but, like, no one brings up the A&M game. Like, when we're playing, uh, even when we're, like, playing and, and people are complimenting Syracuse for, for the recent success, beating Duke, um, playing tough with UVA and, and UNC, the, the Texas A&M game, like, they were a top-five team last week. They're still in the top ten I don't see them falling that far from where they are. You know, maybe they finish out around 15. That's an, that's an excellent win. And that team wasn't, like, worse then. It's not like they've gotten progressively, you know, they've shot up. They've been a very good team all year. So that's a win that seem, just seems to be flying under the radar. It's like people forget it happened. 
Yeah, I mean, every announcer, and it was me that brought it up. It was, every uh, announcing team seems to forget about it. Um, you know, A&M is in the SEC, so people are kind of quick to dismiss it at times. But the SEC isn't, I mean, it's still not as deep as the ACC, and, and I don't think we should hold it to that standard. But it's definitely better than it was last year when it was just pretty much Kentucky, Florida, and a bunch of scrubs. Um, I think this season, you know, you're, you're looking at a much different animal um, when you have a very feisty LSU team, you have a Kentucky team that seems to be able to play up to its competition while also losing some games, a Florida team that's not completely cratered, South Carolina that seems to be much improved. Um, there's a couple others in there too. Like the SEC is not the trash that it was uh, last season when Kentucky went on that um, you know kind of unprecedented run. Um, so you can't necessarily discount A and M when they played you know, a, a good non-conference schedule, and then it proceeded to play a tougher um, in-conference schedule than some previous SEC teams have had to suffer through. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think there's just always a thing of, like, people are going to uh, not believe in an SEC team that is in Kentucky until, or, or, you know, Florida five, six years ago until someone rises up. But I haven't watched a decent amount of AM now. I, I'm kind of a believer in them. I don't know that they're a top five team or anything, but they're a really well-coached, you know, consistent bunch. So I having that win, I think, will continue to be a good thing. I'll be very, very curious to see what they can do because I feel like everyone just distrusts A&M. Um, I, think in, I think in both sports, to be perfectly honest, like, well, both major sports. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's fair. I think in football, there's maybe been some moments where they've, they've created moments of distrust outside of, uh, you know, Johnny Manziel's debut year on the scene. Um, but in basketball, I mean, to me, if the AC Law teams couldn't really make much noise in the tournament, I'd I'd be shocked if this one could, and I, I'd be kind of I'd be impressed if this one does over those teams, which I thought were were talented, but but a much more nationally respected force, um, not just because of Law, but in general because of just how good of a player he was. Yeah, I, I think I don't know, I. I... I think the college basketball overall is a much different animal. And then this year, um, I don't know if everyone saw the wonderful ESPN update today of uh, anyone from Oklahoma to North Carolina could win. Um, those are the two number ones. So it's not a huge range according to ESPN, but I think it actually is a huge range in real life. Um, and I just don't see a dominant team. Like even UNC, I, I haven't been watching the game for a bit, but Louisville was, was hanging with them. I and Louisville's a weird team. But UNC, you know, maybe they have the deepest roster. I kind of like Kansas in, in that regard, but they don't play well away from home or as well away from home. Kentucky's really young. So they're just this is one of those years in college basketball where there's really no team that I can like look at and say, yeah, that's definitely the best team. And then I guess that brings us to the kind of last topic of the first half. Uh, and that ties back to what we were talking about earlier with the RPI is Duke, um, the best team last year at least uh, according to the shit show crapshoot of a tournament that is uh, the NCAA uh, tournament. They won it all um, on a team largely based on freshmen and, young, and underclassmen. This year, um, without Emil Jefferson, they really struggled. Um, they've kind of looked kind of shoddy on defense all season. I think that's something they excelled at uh, toward the end of last year. Um, so now that Duke has fallen out of top 25 for the first time in eight years, um, Dan, you kind of brought up a point in our, our you know, Slack conversation. We can't actually be happy about this, which is which is disappointing. No, we, we want Duke to win, <laughs> which is weird. Uh, but Duke's in trouble. Like, Emil Jefferson, when, when, when we beat them and they were losing those games, 
I really thought Emil Jefferson was like the reason uh, or like a big reason. And he's a really good player, but he's not like he's not their best player. He's, you know, he's a very, very nice forward. Um, that doesn't explain losing four or five uh, against not exactly the top of the ACC. Um, Miami's a good team. We're a, a pretty good team. Notre Dame, Clemson. Um, but like, that's not exactly, it's not like they played UNC twice and, and Louisville and, and, you know, traveled to Miami or something. Um, and they lost those games. So, uh, I'd be very worried if I was a Duke fan and down the stretch, um, just starting with the next two games, they should win. They, they're at Georgia tech, which isn't a give, give me Georgia. That's a pretty decent team. Their, their, uh, metrics are better than their record. Um, and then versus NC State, who they just handled. Uh, but then down the stretch is brutal. Starting on, on February 8th, they have Louisville, which is always a tough game. Uh, Virginia, who's obviously very good, at UNC, at Louisville, versus FSU, which is a pretty good team, at Pitt, which is always tough to play at, versus Wake, and then versus UNC. Like, there's one game in that stretch, and that's at, versus Wake, that I feel pretty comfortable about uh, Duke definitely winning. And that's terrifying, and it's weird because I don't feel like any of us are old enough to remember the last time Duke was in kind of a this sort of situation. I mean, it, it was '95, it, I think. It was the year that Coach Tay like took us sabbatical, yeah. and that was the last time they missed the tournament. Yeah, this is. I mean, you're right. I mean, and that that hurts Syracuse for sure. But uh, yeah, you, you look at this late schedule, and even I mean, if Jefferson's back by the end of February, the FSU game isn't much of a problem. But if he isn't. That they have three seven footers on their roster. You have Dwayne Bacon who can drop like fifty. Like, like what? What happens? What happens if Duke has to play small ball against a team with three seven footers on him? I, I don't really see that ending well. That's a lot of that's a lot of leaning on Plumley, and it's not the Plumley you really want to lean on. He's a pretty good player, but that yeah, I mean that's a problematic matchup for them if they don't have Jefferson back. Yeah, um, I, uh, I, I see this year ending and very poorly. Like, I mean, we complain about some stretches Syracuse has in ACC play. Considering that the favorite that Duke usually is seen as and is using, the favoritism is usually handed, I mean, looking at Louisville, UVA, UNC, Louisville in four consecutive games, two of them on the road, uh, in that 12-game, in 12-day stretch, I mean, that's a joke. Yeah, just in terms of, like, realistically who Duke will be favored against. And this is like saying based on how they're playing now without Jefferson, what will the, who they'll be favored. What at Georgia tech versus NC state uh, versus wake. And that maybe versus FSU. Like really that's crazy. Like if that, if say they, that all plays out, they will be 19 and 19 and 12 heading to the ACC tournament. That's nuts. 19 and 12 and 19 and 12, but I'm sure at that point waning computer numbers. And probably uh, maybe a buy, maybe probably not. It'd be they'd be close to not having a buy in the ACC tournament. Yeah, this AC, I mean, what's their record right now? You figure you, you fifteen and six, and you slated them to lose what six more games? I slated them to lose. Uh, let's see, verse both Louisville games, both UNC games, Virginia at Pitt. So and yeah, six. So that that puts them at eight and ten in league play. Which will probably state them maybe at eighth if they're lucky, but probably ninth or tenth. I mean, they could be an opening day game. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what we're saying, Duke fans, buy your tickets today because they just yeah. went on sale when they're twenty nine dollars. <laughs> get your get your train tickets up to DC. Yeah. It's gonna be a, a hell of a time. 
I know I made the joke today that, that you'd be watching Boston College lose, but... <laughs> you didn't know you'd be watching Boston College lose to a one-legged Duke <laughs> by, by 12. But you know what? W- watch Duke. Watch Duke do that. And then get, get, get Jefferson back. <laughs> proceed to, to proceed to bury Boston College alive by halftime, and then run through the ACC tournament um, in, in a way no one ever has before. I mean, they would, and, and you'd you'd wanna you'd wanna be amazed by it, and it would help Syracuse at the end of the day. But you'd hate it so so much. So basically, we're calling for Grace and Allen to turn into Shabazz Napier slash Kemba Walker. Yes, and run through. And probably steal a very realistically steal a bid from another ACC team. <laughs> um, almost undoubtedly, and it'll definitely be Clemson. Oh God, that'd be funny. <laughs> I'd, Just I'd as write... we said that, it'd probably be us. But the the world where Clemson has like their best basketball season in forever and has all these awesome wins, and then they get their bid stolen by a <laughs> shitty Duke, <laughs> who who then goes on to be like an eight. Seed. Uh, no, they, if they won the ACC, they'd probably be like a, a three seed and lose in the first round because Duke. Uh, sneakily does that a lot. <laughs> yeah, more often than people ever call out, which is weird. It's yeah, I mean, they, they win the win tournament enough. a lot yeah. too, but like they've lost a lot of weird first round games. Um, um, shouts I, to I, uh, I, CJ McCollum. I, I, would, I would love, love, love to see Duke do all that, help us get into the tournament, and then lose a 4-13 game to Monmouth. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> The Monmouth bench, their, their <laughs> redemption story since they're kind of having the whole like classic sports like, all right, we're kind of done with them now thing, even though I think that's unfair. Oh, yeah. Typical NCAA. And just the news cycle in general. Yep. All right. And I think that's a good place to start halftime. Uh, Dan, you've actually been drinking quite a bit in the last week. Yes. Um, so I was up in Syracuse from Thursday till Sunday. Um, and since we had Friday off of uh, no basketball, uh, and the Saturday was early, uh, friends and I decided that we were going to have a little beer brewery tour of the Syracuse area. Uh, so we hit five, if you count Empire, which I will. Um, we went to Middle Ages, and I'm not going to, uh, if I listed everything that we drank, it'd be stupid. So I'm just going to give you guys the highlights so you can go to Untapped and see everything. I think I tried, and these were mostly like samples. I wasn't drinking pints of all these things because I wouldn't have made it back to New York. Um, but basically, uh, I think we ended up trying somewhere like 35 beers this, this weekend, uh, plus like drinking some other standbys. Um, but anyway, uh, so we went to Middle Ages. Um, obviously, I'm sure most of you guys are aware, you know, know Middle Ages pretty well. Uh, one of the newer things they had there, which I liked a lot, was the Jester's Nectar, which is um, a wheat beer. Kind of, it's, it's like the Swallow Wit. It's a little deeper, a little more fully flavored. Um, I actually prefer it to the Swallow Wit, which I like a lot. Uh, so that was nice. Um, we went over to Eastwood, uh, which is kind of the, near DeWitt. Um, we had their, they, they were doing a thing where they, they're mostly known for, I guess, IPAs, uh, based on, you know, what people were saying. Um, but they did an all dark beer thing this weekend, uh, where they had eight new or newish dark beers on tap. Um, the, the two that I stuck out for me, uh, was the double milk chocolate stout, which, uh, actually I thought compared pretty favorably to Young's, which is the big double chocolate stout that everyone drinks. Uh, really nice and really smooth. Um, and worked really well. And then their their uh, their Dunkelweizen, um, which you know, really nice, full bodied, uh, very complex. You know, some kind of sweeter notes, but also you know, a, a very nice blend of flavors. I thought. Um, so then we went up to Red Hawk Brewing, which is a little outside of town. Um, it's actually in like a a red barn, 
that you definitely wouldn't know was a brewery. Uh, that place, in terms of just like my own personal taste, was probably my favorite of the weekend, just as they're they're a Belgian brewery. Um, they're like winter a true Saison. farmhouse. They're, they're a true farmhouse style brewery. Yeah, no, they they they're a very much a farmhouse like brewery. Like li- literally, it's in a farm, uh, a barn, um, and they have like a very small operation, but they, they get, you know, some really awesome stuff. Um, the, the couple that I really liked there, they had a winter Saison that was really good. They had a farmhouse IPA, which is one of the best beers, definitely probably the best Syracuse beer I had this weekend. Um, not so bitter. Like the IPA part wasn't like super prevalent. Uh, like, you know, it was there. There were def- definitely some hoppiness, but um, in terms of like a farmhouse uh, style beer, really good, really delicious. And then they had this, uh, this other beer called the OUD Bruin, which was, kind of va- vacillated between like a being a brown, but also really having some of the same characteristics of a sour, which is really interesting. Um, apparently it kind of changed flavors a lot based on when they brewed it and whatnot. So that was an interesting one. Um, we went to Empire. Uh, you all know Empire pretty well, but the two dragons they have there, which is the one that's brewed with, uh, there was some kind of Chinese influence and it was brewed with tea leaves, I believe, was really interesting. Um, and then Willow Rock Brewing, which is somewhat close to the SU campus, maybe like five, five, seven minutes from there, uh, from, from like South campus. Um, really solid. The guys are all really nice. They were kind of finishing up. We went there after the damn Saturday. Um, the standout for me there was the secret IPA, which I think was fairly new for them. Um, really nice, uh, very citrusy, uh, pretty hoppy, which was good, um, so, and there were a lot of good IPAs this weekend. Um, and then in terms of things that we drank that weren't Syracuse-based, um, there was the uh, Single Cut, which is down here in Astoria. Um, they have uh, a pair of beers. Uh, one is the Bon Bon IPA, and one was the Bon Bon 2 Times TNT IPA, which is probably the best ACDC-themed beer I've ever had. Um, quite hoppy, but like just super flavorful. Uh, and that Single Cut's just making awesome stuff. Um, and then I got to have Stones Enjoy by uh, Valentine's Day Unfiltered, which I don't know if you've had yet, but it's really, really good. And uh, Main Beer Company, their Mo, which is also really, really good. And everything I have had from Maine so far um, has been really excellent. So they're definitely one to look out for if they have new stuff coming through. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Maine. I think the, what makes Maine even better is just the simplicity of the, the branding that I think a lot of people... You know, like sometimes an elaborate label will get people. Um, sometimes a simple label will get people too, though. And I think, you know, Maine has been able to make it just about the beer um, with that simple label and, and really, really just hit it out of the park with everything they do, IPAs in particular. Um, yeah, I unfortunately they don't get out here. Um, but every time I'm, I'm back east, I make sure to get some of theirs. Yeah. I mean, you're, uh, have you had the Stone yet? Have you had the, the Stone Enjoy by yet? I haven't had the latest one. I mean, for the most part, it's the same recipe as always. Um, mm. They just, that one was, they did an unfiltered version. Uh, yeah. I haven't gotten it was great quite good. yet. Yeah, I'll they also did a Black IPA, which I also had to try, but I wasn't, uh, wasn't as big a fan of that one. The Black IPA, I feel like I didn't like them when they first, like when they start, first started getting a little bit more popularity, like several years back. And then I've definitely, uh, I've definitely changed my mind on them. I really did like the uh, the uh, Enjoy by Black IPA uh, when I had it around New Year's. Um, but yeah, I definitely need to. And the problem is lately between Brewery Society stuff and then like Smog City and Monkish around here seem to be releasing like special shit, probably 
once a month. I end up putting all my money towards that. It's not cheap bottles. I don't feel like bankrupting myself on booze. <laughs> but my drinking habits. Um, so realize that it's been a while since we did this, but I'm just keeping it to um, some of the more recent stuff. Uh, I grabbed a six-pack of Pineapple Sculpin uh, last week. Uh, Pineapple's rolling out some uh, some more fruited versions of their um, IPAs, uh, and because I'm within three hours or so, I get distribution for them here in L.A. Uh, Pineapple Sculpin is... I actually like the second bottle better than I like the first one. It's not grapefruit at all um, in that it perfectly balances the flavors. I feel like there's definitely more... Sculpin than pineapple, but uh, they still do a really nice job, and I, I have to say, uh, it's definitely one that's growing on me, and I'm sure it's going to see the same wide release now uh, that, that Grapefruit did when it took over last summer's uh, drinking for Americans. Um, others I had, uh, Founders Breakfast Stout. Uh, Founders uh, got distribution out here to SoCal now, so uh, I can find Breakfast Stout on my shelves and I don't have to trade for it, and it's still delicious. Um, now, the best Pilsner produced in Los Angeles County is arguably Smog City's uh, Little Bow Pills. So had that a couple times this weekend. Actually ended up grabbing a growler while hanging out with some friends um, and just had that back here while you know, just relaxing and watching TV. Um, you know, really good beer, really flavorful Pilsner, and you, know, you don't have to deal with the, uh, the overly drunk and overly full feeling of, of getting some of their more massive beers. Um, other things that I enjoyed, uh, I had their spitting and cussing. Uh, it was just kind of like a ridiculously like tart uh, Flanders red. Uh, so so good. Um, and uh, yeah, I had had that, and it was very. Mu- I mean, pretty much killed my palate for the next like thirty minutes, but in a good way. Um, would definitely highly recommend that for anyone in the Southern California area. Um, Infinite wishes. Uh, also another Smog City beer, um, just a bourbon barrel-aged stout, delicious stuff from them. Um, I know they actually have, this is just kind of plugging them for later, have their uh, Cuddlebug, uh, I think it's, I want to say peach and apricot, um, sour that they've, this is now the third batch they're putting out. Um, they just announced the bottle release for that, so I'm uh, definitely excited about that when it when it comes out. But yeah, that's uh, that's all of my drinking for the week. Um, figured we'd make this extra long for everybody. That way, uh, Wednesday, we just kind of plowed through recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. Works for me. <laughs> so, Dan, I guess looking at, um, yeah, since I know we obviously don't just focus on Syracuse basketballs, we try to frame Syracuse in the context of, you know, the larger college basketball discussion. Um, just do our usual, you know, kind of crapshoot. Where do you see, um, where do you see Syracuse bracket-wise right now? And then maybe, uh, who are your, your four final four teams, let's say, based on, I mean, it, this is not foolproof by any means. I actually think Lenardi's ratings might have, have, have started to veer a little bit sideways in recent years. Um, but kind of, based on his bracketology, how could you see those brackets playing out? Uh, let me pull that up. Um, the more I think about it, like as I said before, there just isn't a team that, that really jumps out. Um, so I, I think this could be a year where you have some serious craziness. Um, I think, let me see, in the south, he has Oklahoma as his one, 
Yeah, Xavier's is two. Uh, is this no? This is this is last week's. Damn it! Yeah, I don't know I don't why know. that was. Yeah, did the same thing to me. Where it loaded up last week's first. Stupid! I, I saw UCLA. I'm like, wait, they're supposed to be playing us. Um, in the south, I, I want to take Virginia, but like they're kind of coming close to that. Like, I, I just don't think I don't know that this Virginia team is quite as good as the last couple. Um, and that might not matter, just as college basketball probably doesn't have the top end teams as good as the last couple of years. Um, but I think they'll still, you know, it's not like they haven't been advancing. Like they've been playing pretty well. It's just they haven't gotten over the top. Um, at risk of being boring, uh, I kind of like Oklahoma. I think uh, they they profile really well as one of those teams that has like the one superstar who kind of leads the way, but also has a really nice blend of talented guys and, and interesting still players uh, around him. Um, I don't think they have another bona fide star outside of Buddy Heald, but um, they have like five or six really, really good players who fill their roles well. Um, you know, it's it's lazy to compare them to like the 03 Syracuse team because obviously Heald is not Carmelo. He's a very different player. Um, but, you know, the way that that SU team kind of everyone fit their role by the end of the year and uh, they had, you know, kind of the one superstar and, and the bunch of really nice players. Like that's kind of what Oklahoma looks like to me. And, and buddy, you can just do like buddy can beat teams by himself. He's unbelievable. So I'm going to go with Oklahoma um, over in the East UNC. I think they, they are probably one of the two or three deepest teams. Um, they have interior presence that not a lot of uh, schools have. Um, they just don't seem, I, I don't know. I, they don't look to me like a, a dominant team. Um, but this seems to be a fairly easy bracket uh, that Lenardi gave him here. Um, Florida VCU could be tricky in the second round. Uh, Baylor, you know, is kind of an enigma this year. Purdue has looked pretty good. Iowa State, I'm not following that trap again. Um, and Xavier, I, I, I like Xavier. I don't really know what to make of them as, as a, you know, a contender for a title. Uh, so I'm sticking with UNC. I don't, I don't like love him in doing that game. It. I don't like him in that game. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not in that game. We, we um, no, I don't like him in that first round game that Lenardi's got. Him. Oh, the UAB. UAB is <laughs> pretty good, um, and even Michigan can like turn it on at times. Um, so I hate being all chalked there um, in the West. Um, does that stream to you like you know maybe Louisville does the thing they do every so often and comes out of it even though they're not that great? Yep. Monmouth is tough. West Virginia is tough and has you know. Some background with Louisville in terms, you know, when they were in the Big East. I'm not buying Nova yet, um, just as Nova obviously has burned a lot of people a lot. Zona is talented, but, you know, I don't think this is a great Zona team. Michigan State's kind of falling apart recently. Um, I like A&M. I just don't think they're quite as talented as Louisville. I could see Louisville's style giving them a lot of issues. So I'm going to take Louisville. Um, And then over in the Midwest, uh, where Syracuse is seated as a play name in UCLA in just one of the most ridiculous regions I've ever seen. Yeah. You have Iowa number one. You have Pitt and UConn playing in the 8-9 game. You have a Kentucky versus UCLA Syracuse winner. You have then Miami at four. Um, Indiana <laughs> at six. Duke as a seven, which just seems pretty high, playing Cincy. And then Kansas at the two. Uh, I like Kansas coming out of here uh, in this, but like that's just... It's like they just went, all right, we're going to just give the Midwest all the storylines and all the, like, kind of silly matchups. Um, there's, like, so many named teams in there. Um, and I feel like Lenardi just kind of had fun with that one. Um, I like Kansas. I think it's in Kansas has the most really, really good players. And um, I know I'm probably going to regret that when, uh, you know, Cincinnati or Duke, you know, turns into a, 
you know, Cincinnati drags the game in the mud or Grayson Allen does for 40. But um, I just think uh, as long as Kansas can, can kind of find themselves away from home, um, I think they're probably the most scary teams in terms of raw talent. Yeah, you know, I, I think that this year is the potential to either be just a, a you know tournament that's a complete zoo or because there's so much parity that the best team with the best coaches and the best players just happen to push themselves forward. Um, say doing the same thing. Uh, looking at the South, uh, Oklahoma's the one seed there. Um, that Day- Dayton and Providence probably hate the fact that they- they'd be matched up in the second round because I don't, I don't think it does either of them any favors. I think that either of those teams could go far um, if they were in, in a different part of the bracket. But I see Oklahoma being able to get past this whole group pretty easily. Um, I don't. I see Virginia being able to actually get to the Sweet 16, um, but you know they'll lose to Maryland for sure. Um, I just think Maryland. You and I both like struggle with appreciating the the talent on the Maryland roster while acknowledging the fact that they just can't seem to pull it together um, in bigger moments. I I think in Oklahoma, Maryland, um, you know, regional would be a lot of fun, um, but I do see Oklahoma winning that game. Um, North Carolina gets a joke of a bracket. I mean, they, you can just put them right into the regional game um, with with this group for sure, uh, there's too many flaws on Purdue and Baylor. San Diego State's not at all what they've been in previous years. Um, same thing goes for VCU and Florida. Uh, USC, I hate them being at six here. I wish I could flip flop them in Michigan because I would take USC um, getting to at least the Sweet 16 in a game against Iowa State. Um, instead, I'm going to have to slot in a North Carolina Iowa State regional but you watch out for USC I think that they're a, they're a very very good team and one that could you know definitely pull an upset over Iowa State um, I would disregard everybody in the bottom part of this bracket uh, Michigan no shot Washington no shot UAB could potentially beat any of those other three teams um, I guess if you were looking for a 14 or higher team that could get to uh, the second weekend I think that's one possible candidate in UAB um, although I try not to pick 15 seeds um, wherever possible, just for the sake of odds, say no, and you could really royally screw your bracket. Um, Unless it shuns the two, and then you pick the 15. <laughs> yeah, and then you always pick the 15. And if it's Florida Gulf Coast, you also put all your money on Florida Gulf Coast immediately. Um, over in the West, uh, like you said, this is a really stupid bracket. Um, it kind of hinges on Texas A&M. Um, there are three teams that could win this, this uh, bracket. Maybe four, but I'll, I'll start with three. Um, Texas A&M, uh, who should get a bit of a cakewalk if Michigan State can lose, because as we all know, Michigan State can do some really stupid things when it comes to March in a good way um, and upset a lot of people's uh, brackets, a lot of people's expectations. Um, Michigan State, if they do what they normally do, can probably get past um, get past most of this part of the bracket and get themselves to another Elite Eight. Um, Lenardi does a fun thing here that uh, you might have picked up on but didn't mention. Uh, the Texas-Texas A&M game um, in round two. It could potentially fall in Oklahoma City. That would be a hell of a lot of fun. Um, Did they win the playing in the uh, Battle for Atlanta? I forget. I don't think so. The Texas I thought lost. Like, yeah, you're right. I wasn't sure if they had played in like round one or something. I knew that was one of the – that and then obviously us and UConn, but like the games that they were kind of setting up for. Yeah. But Texas wasn't very good to start the year. No. 
They've definitely gotten better, and I think the Zags. I mean, I'm always the Zags are another team. I'm just always aboard the slander train. I just feel like there's a there's just an overrated nature about them that that I'm never a big fan of. Um, I just think that you know, like talent wise, they're usually about too deep, and sometimes that two can, can do a lot for them, and others it can't. Um, I just yeah, I, I don't trust the Zags, and no one else should either. Um, and then heading out to the Midwest, uh, this this bracket's wild enough that despite all the names, you could end up with none of them um, getting through. Um, unfortunately, I see Connecticut being able to get itself to the Sweet 16. Um, I see them probably facing Miami uh, and probably beating them. Uh, that's the kind of shitty thing here because now I've got Connecticut in the Elite Eight. Um I see Valpo and UC Irvine both getting themselves to the uh, second round. Um, I actually think that you're probably looking at... Green! Yeah, probably. You're you're looking at peak green. But you're also looking at um, a Duke-Valpo game that then sets up Duke-UConn in the most miserable, miserable regional we've ever witnessed. Because either way, we lose as fans. I'd pull for Duke. I'd pull for Duke, but I'd hate it so much. That that's like the that's like maximum narrative. That yeah, potential peak, peak narrative. I just don't think UConn's that. I mean, this is this is the worst thing in the world to ever say. I don't think UConn's that good. And like we knew what Kemba Walker and Shabazz Napier were, we just didn't think they had the players around them. I don't think they have that guy. Yeah, but just look at this. Look at this bracket. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I mean. At the same time, the the shoddiness of the top of that bracket sets up. If Syracuse was staying there, I doubt they would. Um, possibly gain some momentum against UCLA, knock off a, an, an inflated Kentucky team. Maybe Stony Brook pulls an upset. You beat them. Suddenly, you're in the second weekend against a Pitt team you've played at least twice, maybe three times, or a UConn team you've already played and beat. Yep. Or Iowa, who I think is a nice team, but I don't they don't stare me. No, they're they're, they're my they're my annual uh, one seed that will lose uh, before the second weekend. By far, if if this is what they're, I mean these these are the worst one seeds I've ever seen. Um, if past North Carolina and Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the, the, that's just the year it's going to be. I I I mean my picks were like kind of chalky, but like it, it's really hard to project. I think it's going to be a fun tournament. I'm excited for the tournament a lot. I'm I'm very excited for the tournament. Yeah, because I think it's just going to be mayhem. And honestly, I didn't even mention West Virginia out west, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave they're pretty them good. Out. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave them out for now because this could be either the year that Louisville shits the bed in round one, or the year that Louisville goes further than they should. And yet, maybe last year was was the uh, the latter. So now we get the former that that Louisville also doesn't get credit for how many times they lose in the first round. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like if if you if you win enough like good tournament games, it totally offsets like you doing stupid things. Yeah, like, like Kansas exists in that middle ground where like you always expect them to do good things, but you always know they're gonna let you down. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with a final four of, and I'm gonna hate myself for it. Um, Oklahoma, North Carolina, Michigan State, because Tom Izzo, Devil Magic, and Duke. In the dumbest, 
Like, I mean, this would just be like last year's, actually. Like, the dumbest, most blue blood. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, the seeds didn't work out for it. It shouldn't have happened. And instead, you ended up with the dumbest, most blue blood Final Four you could have. And we're going to get it again. Sigh. I don't, I, I don't, I don't like it. But, sorry, there's an alarm going off behind me, so hopefully that uh, that's drowned right. out. It's really drowned out more. alarm. That's, it's not mine. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an alarm on my wife's phone, and it's very loud, and she is, of course, in the shower, so she cannot get it. And I am tethered to my computer, because we are hard-lined in for these things so that the call quality can stay good. Hopefully it will stop soon. <laughs> But moving on, um, recruiting. We have some time uh, to chat recruiting uh, before Wednesday when we are going to be, as mentioned, um, 100% recruiting. Uh, Dan, what do you make of the situation with Stuart Reese? Uh, Do you feel that, obviously no one was really surprised, but what happened last week that took Syracuse from clubhouse favorite on just about every service to... This thing's a laugher, and I don't even know why we're bothering with a with an announcement because everyone knows it's going to Michigan, to Mississippi State. Um, I just think it was it you know it seemed like it was pretty close, and then uh, I'm always weary of not getting the last visit or the last you know OV, and he obviously came up here a couple weeks ago, and Mississippi State kind of got last word in. Obviously, they're closer; they have the SEC to sell, which is tough. Um, so I you know there's no real shame, and it. it's tough, but um. Uh, I'm not going to get too worked up over losing him and the other two guys that we missed out on today, uh, one of whom didn't didn't offer. So, uh, you know, it's hard to get too worked up about that, uh, even though I thought he was a good player, uh, Josh White. But um, overall, I mean, you know, we're, we, were, we weren't going to go like 13 for 13 in the year. That was just unrealistic. So I think we still can be very excited about what happened a couple of weeks ago. And you, sometimes you're going to lose you're going to lose players to uh, SEC teams. And, you know, Dan Mullen, who's been uh, – I know that Mississippi State isn't the best SEC team, but the job Dan Mullen's done there is kind of miraculous. Um, so going to play for him, it, you know, no real shame in losing a guy to that, even if Stark Vegas is not the most exciting place in the world. Yeah, and I mean, it's just it's the power of what SEC can do. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into and because I don't think this is the case here at all. Um, you know, folks do the usual, you know, dollar sign EC nonsense and talk about paying players. And I, I refuse to make assumptions of anybody without any evidence whatsoever. Um, I just think that's silly. And, and the type of stuff that always kind of happens um, around this time of year, unfortunately. Um, I think Mississippi State's run a very good program under Mullen. Um, I think he's gotten some great talent in there. Um, and I think that, you know, he's, he's brought that program to a place they really shouldn't be but are. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, 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 because this seems to be the case whenever, you know, a non-Blue Blood starts making some noise in the SEC that there's always something. But I, I'm, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt that there is not here. Um, and Mississippi State's above board because, you know what, I, I think they're a lot of fun to watch. Um, I, I think despite not really running like a, a true spread or anything like that, they're still, they've still been a fun team in recent years. And I... I I don't really have any ill will towards them. I mean, I, I convinced myself we weren't getting Reese. Um, I thought we had had an official visit the day after Mississippi State did, but since I never heard anything about it afterward, I don't know if it actually happened. Yeah, it's tough because uh, he's. I don't think he, he's not on Twitter, right, Reese? No, he isn't. Which is yeah, that's the tough part. 
that's where it's you know it's tough because obviously Baby can't say anything and and the coaches aren't going to start floating you know their little Drake memes and whatnot if they're not going to win a kid. So um, I will say like to your first point, you know, saying something shady's happening is stupid. Uh, also, Ole Miss and not Mississippi State is the program that has uh, hashtag the network. Well done. <laughs> Yes, I pulled up the Dramatic Chipmunk YouTube video to do that. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, you, you know, you lose some recruiting battles. I know after the whole, like, circus that we had a whole week to do, it, it, you know, we, can, we got really worked up about bringing in, like, a top 40, 50 class. But I think for what Baber stepped into and how he, you know, assessed the situation and um, – decided to go about this class like the work he's done has been really really impressive um and i know people can get worked up about you know getting rid of players and whatnot but um there there are ways that it's done tastefully and there are ways that it isn't uh, obviously jim harbaugh's cut a lot of flack for what he's done and that's a little different because he's coached this team for a year and he's had these recruits in his class for um over a year now so he had plenty of time to tell people you know you don't fit we are going to go in a different direction, et cetera. And Babers, to his credit, you know, it seemed like he might be going ghost on some guys, which isn't the best, and I don't love that. But it seems like at the end of the day, he did reach out to these players. He gave them at least a couple weeks um, to let them know that they probably weren't going to fit the system. Um, and that's just, you know, it's one of the inherent evils of the recruiting process. Um, unfortunately, you know, and then a lot of those guys, obviously we, we really don't want to, like, bash players or anything that's gross. Um, but... You know, it's not like these guys are all going to like Miami or, or you know, we'd one go to LSU and we're I think we're all pretty happy for him. It's a good story. Um, but they're all players that are, you know, going to group of five schools, going to, you know, not tremendous peer programs. So we're getting very similar, if not better players. Um, and uh, I think we can all be pretty proud of what SU's pulled off. And, and I'm very excited to see what he does in 2017. Yeah, I mean, we've been through this before, but you know what? Like, this is... What people need to remember is that he had about two months, but to be honest, he, he had a month to really be recruiting an earnest here. Um, he's done a phenomenal job. You really can't, um, you know, like, credit him enough for, for, for what he's pulled off in such a short amount of time. Uh, that's not to say that every single one of these guys is going to be a stud and that every single one of them is going to be, you know, a program changer, Um it's a crapshoot no matter who you bring in the door. I mean, there's plenty of teams that have, you know, pulled in a couple four-star type classes in a row and it just doesn't work out just like there's there's plenty that have. Um, I, I just think that, you know, Babers, because he's done this before and because Coyle's done this before, um, you know, there was a plan and, and, you know, maybe Schaefer needed more time. But when, when, when you're a, a program that was kind of teetering on the brink um, I, I don't necessarily think you could afford the time. So, you know what, Schaefer, the fact that he landed at Maryland speaks volumes about, you know, where he stands in coaching circles and administrative circles. I think that if he does well with the Maryland defense um, in, over the next couple of years and has them, um, you know, hanging around 500 or so, a little bit better um, in, in the Big Ten's East Division, which is a bear, um, I think that'll earn him enough enough looks to either land another major conference job or even a Mac head coaching job, which shouldn't be that hard um, based on his connections over there. So I think, yeah, you know, like the, I'm sure the debate about Schaefer seemed to die off and that's fine. And I hope it doesn't come back because of this conversation, but 
um, you know, there's something to be said for how Babers has done things, something to be said for how Coyle's done things. Um, and so far, um, you know, without a game being played, uh, you can't really see this as anything but positive. Uh, once games are played, we'll, we'll be more critical. We'll, we'll take a look at what, what's working, what isn't. But right now, uh, there, there's, there's just a whole lot to like about what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I, if you have, like, the most pessimistic view of what Bayworth has done so far, it's still, like, really, really hard to argue that the class isn't um, just as good as what Shea Froda brought in. And uh, you can say, like, the one guy who got away, Scott, I'm going to go ahead and say he probably would have still done LSU if Schaefer was around and got, like, an 18-year extension. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think we can all be pretty happy. I think Wednesday will... Uh, like I said, to top it off, I, I think it's going to be a fairly straightforward signing day. Obviously, we have a little bit of drama with uh, Nelson, and you know, hopefully he sticks with us. Uh, I feel like we might have already heard if he had decided to flip to UGA, but maybe he holds on until signing day. But overall, I'm pretty uh, impressed. Uh, I'm very excited about some of these players. Um, and it, it's actually kind of cool because I think so, a lot of the, the national um Folks, even though Syracuse's class is still going to finish probably in the 50s somewhere, which isn't generally something that anyone talks about outside of you know the program, people seem to be fairly impressed just based on the context of what Bayer's stepped into and what he's leaving with, which is pretty much a you know an entire overhaul. And I think last time we had a podcast, we talked about like Marone's first class, which turned out to be really good. But he only brought in 13 players with roughly the same amount of time. Bayer's is going to sign very close to a full a full class, which is impressive. Agreed. Agreed. Um... I think that's a good place to stop us. Uh, obviously, we're going to be uh, right back here on Wednesday after what should be a, uh, a rewarding signing day for Syracuse. So, Dan, thank you for your time tonight um, and for you know making time for two podcasts this week. Glad to do it. Uh, strap in for Wednesday, everyone. Yep. So if you don't want to hear about recruiting, don't tune in. But please, by all means, tune in because, honestly, we're probably going to talk about things that have nothing to do with recruiting because that's usually what we do here. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure breaking down Tulane's entire class. I don't know about you. That that sounds like a 10-minute block to me. Uh, as always, you've been listening to Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm John. That was Dan. Uh, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, whatever service you may be using to listen to us. Um, comment on the blog post that we use to accompany it. Um, I usually talk about beer in there, but plenty of other crap comes up. Um, and yeah, we'll see you again on Wednesday night slash Thursday morning. Don't use. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare 
to be devoted.